As you heard, this is the final message in our Summer Essential series. And today we're going to talk to you a little bit about baptism. Make some noise if you've been baptized ever in your life. A bunch of you guys have. Amazing. In fact, many of you were baptized in Jesus' name right here at Connect Church. I've actually got some footage of one of our previous baptism services that I'm going to roll for you really quick. Watch this. Man, okay, for the record, I'm just kidding. That was not Connect Church. That was another church I found on the internet. I don't know how many sins that guy had to wash away, but clearly it was a lot. You notice that little girl that came up and she had her cell phone and she was kind of like recording that? It's in case they needed evidence. You know, the police show up and they're like, hey, this guy didn't make it. Um, Yeah, that was wild. In case you're curious, they held your boy under for 20 plus seconds. That is a long time. And I got to tell you, after watching that video of a baptism, I got a lot of questions, you guys. I have a lot of questions after that baptism video. But I also realized that when it comes to baptism in general, people have a lot of questions. Like, what is baptism exactly? And why is it that anybody gets baptized? Why do Christians dunk people under the water and act like that is incredibly important? Uh, can you be a Christian without being baptized? Is it possible to follow Jesus without having gone through this particular ceremony? How come it is that some baptisms happen outdoors and some happen indoors? Have you ever noticed that? Like even at Connect, we baptize three times a year. Twice, we do it right here in front of the stage in a hot tub before the service. And then once a year, we do it outdoors at the Bow River. By the way, you're going to find out later in the service that this Saturday, we're doing outdoor baptisms at the Bow River. So why is it that sometimes they're indoors, sometimes they're outdoors? Um, why is it that some churches will baptize babies, but then other churches, they don't? What, what, why the difference between those two things? Um, why is it that sometimes when somebody gets baptized, they either pour or sprinkle water on their head? And then other times, it's like the person is going swimming, you know? Sometimes literally. Watch this next video. Thank the Son and not the Holy Spirit. He's buried him by baptism and his death, and he has raised the Lord as a new person. That kid had a solid frog kick. I'm not even going to lie. That was pretty stinking good. Why is it that sometimes it's porter sprinkled and sometimes you're fully immersed like that? Okay. Now, as I mentioned, this Saturday, we're going to be having baptism in the bow. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that. I'm very excited. But for today in this message, what I want to do is I want to demystify baptism a little bit for you. I want to answer some of the common questions that I get as a pastor uh, surrounding baptism. I want to talk to you maybe about the things you've been hesitant or afraid to ask or maybe questions that have never even popped into your mind. What is baptism? Why is it such a big deal? Now, for those of you guys that have never been baptized, I'm going to challenge you by the end of the message to consider taking this next step in your spiritual journey, because I believe you'll be glad you did it. I believe it's incredibly important. If you've already been baptized, and many of you said that you had, which is amazing and awesome, I want to remind you of just how special that day is and how it continues to play out in your life even today. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a really famous baptism story from Acts chapter number eight. 
we're also going to have a few more videos before we get done, okay? Acts chapter number eight. Let me give you a little bit of quick context about this. Acts is the book of the Bible that happens after the Gospels. The Gospels tell the story of Jesus' life and ministry, and then, of course, we read that he is crucified, he's resurrected, he ascends to the Father, and the book of Acts is the story of how the disciples carried on the mission of Jesus after he was no longer here on earth. So we get to Acts chapter number eight, and we read this very fascinating story about a guy named Philip and an Ethiopian man, an African man. So we read in verse 26, the scripture tells us, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So let's pause here for just a moment because you might not be super familiar with that name, Philip. Now, Philip was the name of one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus but we're not talking about the same Philip. The Philip that's here in Acts chapter number eight is a different guy who happens to share the same name. We learn earlier in the book of Acts that Philip was selected from the congregation as a deacon. A deacon is like a servant in the church. They don't necessarily work for the church, but they, they have a bit of a leadership role. They were kind of like second generation leaders in the early church. And so Philip is a guy that's been attending church. The apostles see something in him. They see Jesus in him and they say, Philip, why don't you take uh, over over the service ministry here at the church and help people that are in need. We read in Acts chapter number eight that an angel appears to him and tells him to go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now here's the thing. This road was 80 kilometers long. It was like not a short stretch of highway. This was a long, long journey. And if you're paying attention, the angel never tells him how far to go down the road. He doesn't say, oh, you're gonna make it to Gaza all the way. He doesn't say you're gonna get halfway and then something's gonna happen. He doesn't give him any information. He just says, go. He doesn't even tell him why he's going. He just says, get moving, buddy. Go down that dirt road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So we read here that as he started out, he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now, you probably know what a eunuch is. Most of you have watched Game of Thrones. There are a lot of eunuchs in Game of Thrones. So anyway, a eunuch is somebody who works for whoever's in charge in the government. It's a castrated male. Often they would work closely with like a king's harem, you know, his wives and things like that. But even if he didn't do that, it was often common for a man to be castrated and then put into government service. The reason is because a castrated guy was a little more docile, a little more servile, right? Uh, it's not unlike, you know, snipping your dog, okay? And so this guy was a eunuch. Now, the reason that this is important is because we read that he had left from uh, Ethiopia or Northern Africa. Ethiopia was a region, not a country at that time. But anyway, he had gone up to Jerusalem and he was participating in a festival, a worship festival at the time. What's interesting about this, though, is that in the book of Deuteronomy, eunuchs were prevented from fully participating in temple worship. They, were, they couldn't go fully into the temple. They couldn't be a part of the entire church service. They had to stay on the outside and kind of listen in, which sounds really harsh. Like the poor guy's already suffered enough. Why is it that God won't let him into the temple? Now, what you have to understand is that the entire Jewish religion was predicated on a promise that God made to a man named Abraham. And the promise God made to Abraham was, Abraham, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the seashore. So you can imagine that in a religion that is predicated on the idea of having lots of babies, a man that can't make any babies probably isn't particularly useful. And so he wasn't allowed full access 
to the temple for worship. So he goes, he hangs out on the outside, he listens, and then we read here that he's traveling from Jerusalem back down to the uh, region that he came from. And along the way, he, uh, he is seated in his carriage, verse 28, and the scripture says he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, that's kind of weird. Why was he reading aloud? It's just him, right? But did you know that reading aloud was the most, uh, reading silently, I should put it this way, reading silently didn't start happening until about the 1700s? Did you guys know this? You can look it up. Google me and you'll find out. Like, seriously, before the 1700s, reading silently to yourself the way that we typically read today was a sign to other people that you were crazy. They thought you were nuts because everybody would just read out loud. So anyway, this is weird to us, but it was totally normal for this Ethiopian man to be reading from the scroll of Isaiah. So the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside his carriage. Philip ran over and he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. So Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? You ever felt that way reading the Bible? You're like, what is this? How am I supposed to make sense out of this? Who even knows what this book is even talking about? So the man urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture that he had been reading, the section from the scroll of Isaiah was this, he, and this is predicting Jesus, okay? So the scroll of Isaiah was written hundreds of years before the life and death of Jesus, and yet this is what it said about the Messiah. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth. So in verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet Isaiah talking about himself or someone else? He's like, I don't even get it. Is he, is he speaking about himself? Is he, I don't, what's going on here? And so in response, beginning with this same scripture, verse 35 tells us, Philip told him the good news of Jesus. Hey, I just want to pause for a moment and ask you, if you found yourself in a similar situation, Somebody was like, hey, I got a question about God. Would you be able to give them any kind of answer? If you had an opportunity to share the good news with your coworker or your mom or a neighbor or something like that, would you have anything to say to them? Or would you be like, I don't know, you want to come to church and talk to my pastor? Look, I'm glad to talk to your people. I'm glad to talk to them. But there are going to be folks that are like, no, I'm not going to church. You said you're a follower of Jesus. I thought you knew this stuff, right? So we have this responsibility to at least articulate the basics of our faith, which is what Philip does here in Acts chapter number eight. So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Now, verse 36 is where we get to the baptism portion. When they, uh, rather, as they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. So why can't I be baptized? Mark that question in your mind. We're going to come back to it before we get done. So he, the eunuch, ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Now, listen, I could go like a dozen different directions with this passage of scripture. I mean, we could use these verses to talk about the importance of being able to evangelize, right? To tell people the good news about Jesus. I could use it to talk about like always listening to the Holy Spirit and going wherever the Holy Spirit might lead you, even when you don't have the answers, even when you don't understand why the Holy Spirit's telling you to go take a walk, still do it because there's a reason behind it. We could talk about all kinds of different stuff, but I told you, I promised you we were gonna be talking about baptism today. So what I wanna do is I wanna answer four questions for you about baptism. And then particularly those of you that have never been baptized, I want to challenge you to consider taking this next step in your spiritual journey. So let's start with the most basic question of all. What is baptism exactly? 
What is it, okay? Baptism is an ancient ceremony that officially marks us as a follower of Christ. That's what it is. It is officially saying to the world publicly, I am a Jesus person. It's been put like this. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. You know, if you come to church and you sit in the back or, you know, off to the side, you make a decision, that's between you and God. Nobody's ever going to know about it. But baptism is this public declaration that you are identifying with Jesus as one of his followers. I often compare baptism to a wedding ceremony right? A wedding ceremony. At a wedding ceremony, you gather with your friends, your family, oftentimes your church, you and your beloved stand at the altar face to face, and you talk about how much you love one another and how you are going to commit yourself to one another for the rest of your life. It is like making your relationship official, legal, like solid, right? It's similar with baptism. When we are publicly water baptized in Jesus' name, we are identifying ourselves with him. Him. We are saying essentially, I love him, I know he loves me, and I want to follow him with my life. Now, baptism is also this cool little parable that we get to enact. It's like a play or a story that we tell without ever saying a word. In Colossians chapter number two, verse 12, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So look, when you go under the water, what you're essentially saying without ever uttering a word is like, hey, the old me, the old me, the, the me that used to live without God, the me that used to pursue money or power or pleasure or self-reliance, that me is gone. I, that me has died. I am no longer the person I used to be. Jesus has changed everything for me. And so that old me has been buried, but I have been raised to new life with Jesus as well. My, my life is not the same. I don't know. Once I welcomed Jesus in, the script flipped, and I am no longer the same person. In the same way that Jesus was buried and raised from the dead, the Bible says that we, when, we, when we are baptized, we are articulating that he has also buried our old way of life and raised us to a new way of life. The Apostle Paul Paul says in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians that um, when we are saved, that the old has passed away and the new has come. We are no longer the same people, the same creations that we used to be. So this baptism is this incredible identification with Jesus publicly. It's a picture of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and then the death of our old way of life and, our, and the bringing of our new. Now, I've told you a little bit about what baptism is. Let me tell you what baptism is not. Baptism is not the same thing as salvation. You realize that? Baptism is not the same thing as salvation. Baptism is the first step after you get saved. Baptism is the first thing you do after Jesus forgives your sins. You don't get baptized so that Jesus will forgive your sins. Like sometimes people will come to me and they're like, oh, Dan, I can't wait to get baptized so that when I come up out of that water, all my sins are going to be washed away. And I'm like, really? Because, you know, when you get baptized in a hot tub here on Sunday, that water just came out of the tap. It's not blessed. It's not holy. There's nothing special. We didn't even use soap, okay? There's nothing special about that. When we go, when we go to the river on Saturday and we're going to baptize you in the river, like the bow is beautiful, but it ain't the cleanest source of water in the world, all right? So there's nothing special about the water. The water doesn't wash away your sins. The water is a symbol that your sins have already been washed away in Jesus. So if we could bring back in this analogy of a wedding ceremony, in fact, this is crazy how this worked out. I, I did not plan this, I promise you. But today is my 18-year wedding anniversary with my wife, okay? So... 
Don't clap for us, guys. We barely made it, okay? Just barely. Um, she had a million reasons to divorce me. Anyway, okay. 18 years ago, when we stood at the altar and we looked each other in the eye, we made all these promises, you know, till death do us part, sickness and health, blah, 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 blah. I love you, I love you, I love you. We were saying those things because we already experienced them. I already loved her. I was already committed to her. I was already gonna be with her in sickness and in health till death do us part. Instead, at the altar, I was just making that public and official. I was telling all of y'all what I had already told her. The same thing is true when it comes to baptism. You don't get baptized so that your sins can be forgiven any more than you get married so that you can fall in love. You are already in love, so you choose to have a wedding ceremony. You are already forgiven in Jesus, and in response, you choose to follow through in baptism. So baptism is not salvation. Baptism is the first step of obedience after salvation. So what is baptism? Ancient ceremony that publicly identifies us as a, a saved person, a forgiven person. Why should somebody be baptized? Question two, why should somebody be baptized? Well, first, Jesus was baptized. Did you know that? Jesus himself underwent water baptism. So in Mark chapter, um, sorry, Matthew chapter number three, Jesus goes down to the Jordan River in Israel and his cousin, who was called John the baptizer because he baptized Jesus, he actually took Jesus, dunked him under the water and brought him back up. Now, when that happened, we read in Matthew chapter number three that the Holy Spirit descended like a dove on Jesus and the voice of the father is heard saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Did you know this is one of the few times in the New Testament that the Trinity is present all at the same time. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So like, don't ever think, oh, well, he's God the Father in the Old Testament. He's God the Jesus in the gospel. And then he's God the Holy Spirit later on. No, the three exist in one. We see them all at the same time and place here. Anyway, Jesus himself was baptized. Now, Jesus, well, I told you baptism is a public identification with Jesus. So Jesus didn't get baptized so he could identify himself with Jesus. That makes no sense. Baptism for Christ was the beginning of his public ministry. Did you realize this? Prior to Matthew chapter number three, Jesus never preached a sermon. He never healed anybody. He never cast out a demon. He didn't gather any followers whatsoever. Matthew chapter number three, the baptism of Jesus marked his public ministry as the Messiah. And so in the same way, baptism is a public mark of us with his ministry. Are you with me? Jesus was baptized. And so if we are Christians, we should probably do what our Lord and Savior does. If he was baptized, then we ought to be baptized as well, because that's what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Christ. Now, some of you are thinking real quick, and you're like, well, Jesus was crucified, so does that mean I need to get nailed to a cross because we do what Jesus did? No, it's not just that Jesus was baptized. Jesus also commanded his followers to be baptized. Did you know that? It's a command from Jesus that his people would follow his example in water baptism. So you go to Matthew 28, we read what we call the Great Commission. This is when Jesus gives the marching orders to the church. And he says, I want you to go, I want you to preach the gospel, I want you to evangelize, and I want you to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you something directly? Jesus never suggested baptism. He commanded it. If you're a follower of Jesus, he commanded you to follow his example and to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's not a suggestion. A lot of times we kind of take baptism as one of those, like, I'll take it or leave it if you want to. If you're feeling it, go for it. But otherwise, don't worry about it. It's not that important. It is incredibly important. 
There was one time Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says to them, why do you call me Lord and master and not do the things I tell you to do? Woo! That's like a gut punch, right? To me even. It's like, oh man, if he is my Lord, if he is my master, then I need to do the things that he commanded. He did not suggest baptism. He commanded it. So this becomes an obedience issue for us. It's not a matter of whether you want it, you're ready for it, you, you know, whatever. This is like Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, step one is baptism. A lot of times we want all the other benefits of following Jesus. You with me? We want the resurrection, but not the crucifixion. We want all the blessings of God, but we're not willing to, we're not willing to surrender to God. We get things out of order. And so we've got to recognize that the blessing and the favor of God really does come from obedience, following God, doing what he asks of us. Jesus commanded baptism. And if that was the only reason, that is reason enough for you who are followers of Christ to get it done. Now, the third reason, and one that's a lot nicer, is that baptism is such a great day. Like it is an important spiritual milestone to get baptized. Anybody who's been baptized can tell you, man, that was awesome. I say all the time, baptism is something you'll never forget and never regret. It's just that good. In fact, I know a lot of people who were very on fire for God earlier in their life. And, you know, over time, they've kind of even fallen away from their faith. They might not even consider themselves Christians anymore. And yet they will still talk about their baptism fondly. They'll say, man, that was an important day for me. That, that meant something. It is a spiritual high that frankly, it, like you'll be chasing for the rest of your life with Jesus. Like baptism is a huge milestone in following Christ. And so why should you be baptized? Well, Jesus did it. He commanded you to do it. And he promises it'll be awesome if you do it. Okay. Now I've got two more questions here that I want to ask. Okay. Two more. Um, and then I'm going to ask you a question at the end. So the two questions we're going to finish up with are how should a person be baptized? And then how do I know if I'm ready to be baptized? Okay. Both of these questions are answered in Acts chapter number eight, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. So we're going to end up back there in this passage. How should a person be baptized? Well, listen, uh, the new Testament sets a unanimous pattern. Not like a clear pattern, not like, uh, yeah, for the most part, this is the way it's done. The New Testament sets a unanimous template for how baptisms are supposed to occur, okay? In the New Testament, the pattern of baptism is always full immersion of a believer only. Full immersion of a believer only. All right, let's talk about that. When I say full immersion, what I mean is that it might be common in some churches today and even throughout history to like pour or to sprinkle water over somebody rather than dunking them under the water. But can I tell you that there is not a single baptism in the New Testament that happens through pouring or sprinkling? There's not a single one. Every single baptism that's recorded in the New Testament is somebody who is fully immersed under the water and then comes back up out of the water. The water is deep enough for them to go all the way in and all the way under before they come back up. That is, from the context, this is really clear. It's the way that the Ethiopian man was baptized here in Acts chapter number eight. This is clearly the way that Jesus was baptized in Matthew chapter number three. Every single time somebody's baptized in the New Testament, they are fully submerged underwater. In fact, the Greek word baptizo, from which we get baptism, it literally means to immerse 
or submerge. It doesn't mean to sprinkle water. They didn't sprinkle dirt on Jesus when he was buried, okay? Like, it means to go fully under, okay? In fact, I've got another baptism video that's going to illustrate this for you. <laughs> If the water ain't deep enough to cannonball into, it's not deep enough to baptize in, all right? No, I'm, I'm just kidding about that for the most part, all right? Um, listen, full immersion under the water is the way that Jesus was baptized and the way that every other person in the New Testament was baptized as well. Now, listen, if there's somebody and they came to me and they said, hey, Dan, I really want to be baptized. I think this is important. I'm ready for the step, but I have like some health condition or some other reason that I could not go fully under the water, then yeah, I would probably make some accommodation. I might put you in a tub and pour some water over your head or something like that. But that has got to be the absolute exception to the rule. Because in the New Testament, we see a very, very clear, in fact, a unanimous pattern that when somebody is baptized, they are put fully under the water. It's the same reason that when we do communion, we don't swap the bread and wine for Cheez-Its and Mountain Dew, okay? Like how we do things matters. God gives us so much freedom in how we do church and how we live for Christ. It's like we can play any kind of music we want to on Sunday morning. We can show up on Sunday and we can wear a tie and a suit if we want, or the pastor can wear ripped jeans and a t-shirt. We have so much freedom in so many areas. But when it comes to the important stuff, when we're starting to talk about like the ordinances of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper, we need to do it in the way that Christ commanded us to do it in. And the way that he did it himself, what he commanded was that people would be fully immersed under the water. Now, um, if you were baptized at some point in the past in your life through pouring or sprinkling, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying right now. I don't want you to hear me saying that your baptism is wrong. That's invalid. How dare you say that you're baptized when you were only sprinkled? That's not what I'm trying to communicate to you, okay? That's not the point. I have no desire to guilt you. I have no desire to push you. I, it's not my job. But I would encourage you to maybe take a few moments this week even and to pray and to say, God, if what Pastor Dan is saying is true, that everybody who got baptized in the New Testament was actually dunked under the water and I wasn't dunked, what should I do about that? You tell me, God, is this something I need to worry about or should I just forget it and move on? And I want you to listen and do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do. So if you believe deep down in your soul, the Holy Spirit's telling you, hey, don't worry about it. It's not really that important. Keep going. Then fine. That's okay. I love you. You're fully welcome here. I'm never going to pressure you or guilt you or anything over that. Okay. But if it were me, if I were in that position, I would just want to be really sure that my baptism conformed to the standard that Jesus set. I would want to do it the way Christ did it. And if it were even different in how much water they used, then I would consider getting rebaptized. I really would. Indeed, I wouldn't want to give the devil any opportunity in my life later on in the future to come whisper in my ear, dude, you weren't even baptized the real way. You got it. You got that wrong. You can't keep, no, you're, 
I don't want to give the devil a foothold in any way, shape, or form, all right? I want to make sure that when that voice comes up, I'm like, nah, man, that's the way Jesus did it. That's why I did it that way. So if you were poured or sprinkled, I want you to pray and ask God what to do. And if he tells you you're cool, then roll with it. But if he says, hey, you might want to follow the pattern of the New Testament, we want to be able to make that happen for you this weekend. That's all I'll say about that part. So when we say full immersion, we mean going completely under the water. Um, Not only that, though, the New Testament pattern is the full immersion of only those who have placed their faith in Jesus. Only believers, okay? Again, I'm going to be direct here. There is not a single baby that is baptized in the New Testament. There's not a single infant that is ever baptized. Everybody that is baptized in the New Testament is old enough to hear the gospel of Jesus, that they are a sinner, but that Jesus died to pay their sin debt and freely God has forgiven them and given them new life, right? Every person that gets baptized is old enough to hear that message and to respond, to say like, whoa, Jesus is God's son? and he loves me despite my flaws and mistakes, and I can have a relationship with him because he died in my place. Yes, sign me up, please. Everybody who gets baptized has that kind of realization in their life. There is no point at which a baby is ever baptized, and there's no mention of christening whatsoever in the scripture, okay? It's for that reason that at Connect Church, we don't baptize infants or very young children. Sometimes parents will come to me and they'll say, hey, I've got a three-year-old or a four-year-old. Will you baptize them? And I just have to say, listen, let's dedicate them to the Lord. That's why we do uh, child dedications. We did those a couple of weeks ago. Um, But baptism is the first step of obedience after you place your faith in Jesus, okay? I'm not sure that a baby is able to make that decision for themselves. Now, I will tell you, If I were going to baptize babies, I would baptize them like this very famous Greek Orthodox priest did. You guys, that is the most violent baptism I have ever seen. Your man was dunking that baby like a chicken wing and ranch dip. You know what I mean? Just boom, 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 boom. At least he immersed the kid. You know, he got that part right. Okay. All right. We're having fun, but stay with me. Okay. We're having fun, but stay with me. First Peter chapter number three tells us that baptism, let's put these verses on the screen. Baptism is the response to God of a clear conscience. And in Acts chapter number two, Peter preaches one of his most famous messages and he ends it by giving an invitation. And the invitation is repent and be baptized each one of you in Jesus name. So the question I want to ask you is how can a baby repent? How can a baby respond to God from a clear conscience? They don't even know what a conscience is yet. They're still trying to figure out that they're a baby and they're alive. They don't have any concept of the good news of Jesus. So stay with me now. In the New Testament, baptism is always done on people who are old enough to understand what it means and choose it for themselves. Are you with me? My job as a pastor is to teach you the Bible. My job as a pastor is to tell you what's actually in the scripture, not what church tradition has done forever. We want to be people of the book to the very best of our ability. And from the scriptures, no baby was ever christened or baptized. Now, with all that being said, I want to give you the exact same caveat that I did earlier. There are a lot of you that are in the room and you were baptized or christened as a baby. Maybe because your parents really wanted you to go to the Catholic school system here in Calgary and you got to be baptized in order to get into those schools. Are you with me? They were like, I don't even care so much about about the baptism. I just want you to go to a good school and that's what we got to do. So dunk and there you go, okay? 
You might have been raised in the Philippines or in England in countries in which baptizing babies is a very common practice. I don't want you to hear me saying that your baptism was wrong and invalid, the Catholics are wrong, and how dare the priest baptize you when, a, when you were a baby. I don't want you to hear me saying any of that. In fact, what I want you to do is to think about your infant baptism or christening from this perspective. When you were baptized as a baby, two things were going on. Your parents were putting you under the water and they were essentially saying, God, like, I don't know if I've got what it takes to raise this kid. I need some help. So would you bless us? Would you help us? Would you keep our little baby safe until they grow up and they can make a decision for you for themselves? And the priest, when he baptized you, was saying, listen, the church is gonna be here for you as a family. And we're gonna do everything I can, everything we can to point this child towards Jesus. And one day we're asking God to reveal himself to them so that when they're 25, 35, 45, 55 years old, they're still a follower of Jesus. So hear me now. Being baptized as an adult is not a rejection of your christening as an infant. In fact, it is an affirmation of what mom and dad wanted for you all along. If you're an adult and you say, well, I was baptized as a baby, but I think I should probably do this as an adult of my own volition, my own choice, because that's what the New Testament uh, example is, you are not turning your back on what happened to you. You're not rejecting your parents' faith or anything like that. You are saying, mom, you wanted me to be a follower of Jesus. Here I am, 35 years old, and I'm making the choice. I am owning my faith today. So when I talk about the need, or uh, when I tell you the, the scriptural template is to be baptized as an adult, a choice you make for yourself, then I want you to consider that it's not a rejection, it's an affirmation of what you've been experiencing, what your parents hoped for you all along. So uh, as I said, if you were sprinkled or poured or something like that, um, I would just encourage you to do this, to pray. And to say this week, God, I, I, I just assumed that my, my, like I was christened, I was baptized as a kid, and I thought that was cool, good to go. But if what Pastor Dan is saying is true, and everybody that's baptized in the New Testament was old enough to choose it for themselves, then what should I do? and just let the Holy Spirit speak to you, okay? You don't need to get baptized to please me. Do you know that baptism is actually one of the most important metrics we have at our church? Like, we are a Baptist church, you guys. We are so all in on baptism that we've actually named our denomination after it. And so frankly, the more baptisms we have, the better I think our church is doing. And so if I really wanted to pump those baptism numbers up, all I had to do was baptize all the babies you guys keep making, and suddenly we'd be looking awesome. But I don't do that because I believe what I'm telling you because this is what the New Testament says. Okay, so I want you to pray and just ask and then do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. Are you with me? That's all we need to do. Now, um, yeah, okay, I'm gonna skip that part. We'll keep going. Okay, last part. How do I know if I'm ready to be baptized? How do I know? So we've talked about what baptism is and what it isn't. We've talked about how a person should be baptized and maybe how they shouldn't be baptized. But how do I know if I'm ready? There are so many people and they come to me and they say, Dan, I, I kind of like the, I, I think I want to be baptized, but I don't think I'm ready yet. Like I got a lot of sin in my life and I got a lot of questions and maybe I just need to stick around the church for a little bit longer and maybe someday I'll feel like I'm ready. 
In order to answer this question, I want to point you back to Acts chapter number 8, okay? We've got a, a particularly important verse here on the screen. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch, they come, they see some water, and he says, hey, why can't I be baptized in Jesus' name? If you're telling me that this is important, why can't I do it? And Philip answered, you can if you believe with all your heart. So I want you to notice this here. Philip tells the eunuch, you can be baptized if. He gives him an if. But the if that he gives is not, well, if you've stopped sinning, then you're ready to be baptized. He doesn't say, if you have no more questions and doubts, then you're finally ready. He doesn't say, if you've gone through a confirmation class, you are now ready to be baptized. He doesn't say, if you give money in the offering. He says, if you believe with all your heart, you're ready for baptism. So the eunuch responded, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And it was at that moment that Philip takes him down into the water and he is baptized in Jesus' name. So listen, the only thing that is standing between you and being ready for baptism is faith in Jesus. That's it. If you say, oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's my savior. I think he died for my sins. You are ready to be baptized. Philip didn't make the eunuch wait. He didn't make him take a quiz. He didn't make him recite some Bible verses. He was like, you believe Jesus is the son of God? Cool, let's do this thing, right? Same is true for you. The apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter number 10, verse nine. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved, right? The only thing that's standing between you and your willingness or readiness rather to be baptized is your willingness to put your faith in Jesus. I believe absolutely that there's somebody here this morning and you're like, oh, that's it? That's all it takes? I just have to confess with my mouth and believe in my heart? I do, and I'm ready. So I wanna give you the opportunity to make this decision personally, and then we're gonna talk about how you can make it publicly this Saturday. So every head in the audience, just bow your head, please close your eyes. I wanna lead you in a prayer. If you say, Dan, I want to confess Jesus as my Lord, I wanna receive forgiveness of my sins, and I wanna follow after him then I want you to just repeat this prayer to yourself uh, or in your own heart after me. Say, dear Jesus, I confess you as Lord. I believe you died for my sins and you rose from the grave just the way the scripture says. And in the same way, God, I believe that you have put to death the old me and you have brought about a new me, a new creation because of your love. I accept you as my savior and I confess you as my Lord today in Jesus name. Amen. Hey, if you have prayed that prayer in the past or you prayed it for the first time today, then you are ready to be baptized if you never have. Now, I've been telling you, kind of hinting and teasing throughout the service, that this Saturday, August the 6th, we are having a baptism service out at Bow Ness Park. Now, I wanna be super clear here. This is not an event for people who are getting baptized. This is an event for the whole church. We want everybody to come out. What we're gonna do is we've taken over a picnic site. I don't remember which number it is to use. Picnic site three out at Bowness Park. We've got a big pavilion. We're gonna have food and the food's coming from our Phil Can group. So you know it's gonna be good. 
We're gonna have games, glitter tattoos. We're gonna get out and enjoy the sunshine while we still can, man. It's August, it's drawn to a close. We need to be outdoors together. Literally, every person in our church is invited, and hey, I want you there. It's totally free, you don't have to pay anything. Bring a lawn chair, just hang out with us. It starts at 11. It'll end around two, but you can stay as long as you want. At about 12.30, we're going to walk from our picnic site about 20 meters down to the Bow River, and we are going to hold baptisms this Saturday. We have currently six people that are taking the plunge in baptism, which is awesome. But can I tell you, there are a lot of you, and God is speaking to you this morning and saying, this is your time. You've put it off for long enough. Now is the day. Saturday is your, let's go. Let's get it done. And so if you, if that's you, if you say, listen, the Lord's speaking to me, I know this is the right time. I either want to be baptized as an adult or I want to be baptized for the first time. All you have to do is go to connectcalgary.ca slash baptism. And there's a form that you fill out. There's also a video from me that explains some other aspects of baptism. We're going to send you an email and give you all the details that you need. Or if you have questions, you're like, hey, I'm still struggling. I'm still trying to figure this out. You can also fill out the form and put your question in there. I will contact you this week and we'll do everything we can to help you to see that this is your next step. Mm -hmm.